Section 23 of The World as Will and Idea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The World as Will and Idea, Volume 1, by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. The Third Book The Will as Idea. Second Aspect. Paragraphs 40 to 43. Opposites throw light upon each other, and therefore the remark may be in place here that the proper opposite of the sublime is something which would not at the first glance be recognized as such the charming or attractive by this however i understand that which excites the will by presenting to it directly its fulfilment its satisfaction we saw that the feeling of the sublime arises from the fact that something entirely unfavorable to the will becomes the object of pure contemplation so that such contemplation can only be maintained by persistently turning away from the will and transcending its interests this constitutes the sublimity of the character the charming or attractive on the contrary draws the beholder away from the pure contemplation which is demanded by all apprehension of the beautiful because it necessarily excites this will by objects which directly appeal to it and thus he no longer remains pure subject of knowing but becomes the needy and dependent subject of will that every beautiful thing which is bright or cheering should be called charming is a result of a too general concept which arises from a want of accurate discrimination and which i must entirely set aside and indeed condemn but in the sense of the word which has been given and explained i find only two species of the charming or attractive in the province of art and both of them are unworthy of it the one species a very low one is found in dutch paintings of still life when they err by representing articles of food which by their deceptive likeness necessarily excite the appetite for the things they represent and this is just an excitement of the will which puts an end to all aesthetic contemplation of the object painted fruit is yet admissible because we may regard it as the further development of the flower and as a beautiful product of nature in form and color without being obliged to think of it as eatable but unfortunately we often find represented with deceptive naturalness prepared and served dishes oysters herrings crabs bread and butter beer wine and so forth which is altogether to be condemned in historical painting and in sculpture the charming consists in naked figures whose position drapery and general treatment are calculated to excite the passions of the beholder and thus pure aesthetical contemplation is at once annihilated and the aim of art is defeated this mistake corresponds exactly to that which we have just censured in the dutch paintings 
the ancients are almost always free from this fault in their representations of beauty and complete nakedness of form because the artist himself created them in a purely objective spirit filled with ideal beauty not in the spirit of subjective and base sensuality the charming is thus everywhere to be avoided in art there is also a negative species of the charming or exciting which is even more reprehensible than the positive form which has been discussed this is the disgusting or the loathsome it arouses the will of the beholder just as what is properly speaking charming and therefore disturbs pure aesthetic contemplation but it is an active aversion an opposition which is excited by it it arouses the will by presenting to it objects which it abhors therefore it has always been recognized that it is altogether inadmissible in art even where what is ugly when it is not disgusting is allowable in its proper place as we shall see later the course of the discussion has made it necessary to insert at this point the treatment of the sublime though we have only half done with the beautiful as we have considered its subjective side only for it was merely a special modification of this subjective side that distinguished the beautiful from the sublime this difference was found to depend upon whether the state of pure willless knowing which is presupposed and demanded by all aesthetic contemplation was reached without opposition by the mere disappearance of the will from consciousness because the object invited and drew us towards it or whether it was only attained through the fire conscious transcending of the will to which the object contemplated had an unfavorable and even hostile relation which would destroy contemplation altogether if we were to give ourselves up to it this is the distinction between the beautiful and the sublime in the object they are not essentially different for in every case the object of aesthetical contemplation is not the individual thing but the idea in it which is striving to reveal itself that is to say adequate objectivity of will at a particular grade its necessary correlative independent like itself of the principle of sufficient reason is a pure subject of knowing just as the correlative of the particular thing is the knowing individual both of which lie within the province of the principle of sufficient reason when we say that a thing is beautiful we thereby assert that it is an object of our aesthetic contemplation and this has a double meaning on the one hand it means that the sight of the thing makes us objective that is to say that in contemplating it we are no longer conscious of ourselves as individuals but as pure willless subjects of knowledge and on the other hand it means that we recognize in the object not the particular thing but an idea and this can only happen so far as our contemplation of it is not subordinated to the principle of sufficient reason does not follow the relation of the object to anything outside it which is always ultimately connected with relations to our own will but rests in the object itself for the idea and the pure subject of knowledge always appear at once in consciousness as necessary correlatives 
and on their appearance all distinction of time vanishes for they are both entirely foreign to the principle of sufficient reason in all its forms and lie outside the relations which are imposed by it they may be compared to the rainbow and the sun which have no part in the constant movement and succession of the falling drops therefore if for example i contemplate a tree aesthetically that is with artistic eyes and thus recognize not it but its idea it becomes at once of no consequence whether it is this tree or its predecessor which flourished a thousand years ago and whether the observer is this individual or any other that lived anywhere and at any time the particular thing and the knowing individual are abolished with the principle of sufficient reason and there remains nothing but the idea and the pure subject of knowing which together constitute the adequate objectivity of will at this grade and the idea dispenses not only with time but also with space for the idea proper is not this special form which appears before me but its expression its pure significance its inner being which discloses itself to me and appeals to me and which may be quite the same though the spatial relations of its form be very different since on the one hand every given thing may be observed in a purely objective manner and apart from all relations and since on the other hand the will manifests itself in everything at some grade of its objectivity so that everything is the expression of an idea it follows that everything is also beautiful that even the most insignificant things admit of pure objective and willless contemplation and thus prove that they are beautiful is shown by what was said above in this reference about the dutch pictures of still life but one thing is more beautiful than another because it makes this pure objective contemplation easier it lends itself to it and so to speak even compels it and then we call it very beautiful this is the case sometimes because as an individual thing it expresses in its purity the idea of its species by the very distinct clearly defined and significant relation of its parts and also fully reveals the idea through the completeness of all the possible expressions of its species united in it so that it makes the transition from the individual thing to the idea and therefore also the condition of pure contemplation very easy for the beholder sometimes this possession of special beauty in an object lies in the fact that the idea itself which appeals to us in it is a high grade of the objectivity of will and therefore very significant and expressive therefore it is that man is more beautiful than all other objects and the revelation of his nature is the highest aim of art human form and expression are the most important objects of plastic art and human action the most important object of poetry yet each thing has its own peculiar beauty not only every organism which expresses itself in the unity of an individual being but also everything unorganized and formless and even every manufactured article for all these reveal the ideas through which the will objectifies itself at its lowest grades they give as it were the deepest resounding bass notes of nature 
gravity rigidity fluidity light and so forth are the ideas which express themselves in rocks in buildings in waters landscape gardening or architecture can do no more than assist them to unfold their qualities distinctly fully and variously they can only give them the opportunity of expressing themselves purely so that they lend themselves to aesthetic contemplation and make it easier inferior buildings or ill-favored localities on the contrary which nature has neglected or art has spoilt perform this task in a very slight degree or not at all yet even from them these universal fundamental ideas of nature cannot altogether disappear to the careful observer they present themselves here also and even bad buildings and the like are capable of being aesthetically considered the ideas of the most universal properties of their materials are still recognizable in them only the artificial form which has been given them does not assist but hinders aesthetic contemplation manufactured articles also serve to express ideas only it is not the idea of the manufactured article which speaks in them but the idea of the material to which this artificial form has been given this may be very conveniently expressed in two words in the language of the schoolman thus the manufactured article expresses the idea of its forma substantialis but not that of its forma accidentalis the latter leads to no idea but only to a human conception of which it is the result it is needless to say that by manufactured article no work of plastic art is meant the schoolmen understand in fact by forma substantialis that which i call the grade of objectification of will in a thing we shall return immediately when we treat of architecture to the idea of the material our view then cannot be reconciled with that of plato if he is of the opinion that a table or a chair expresses the idea of a table or a chair but we say that they express the ideas which are already expressed in their mere material as such according to aristotle however plato himself only maintained ideas of natural objects plato dixi quod idei eorum sunt quae natura sunt and in chapter five he says that according to the platonists there are no ideas of house and ring in any case plato's earliest disciples as alcinus informs us introductio in platonicam philosophiam chapter nine denied that there were any ideas of manufactured articles he says definiunt autem ideaim exemplar oeternum eorum quae secundum naturam existunt nam plurimis ex is qui platonem secuti sunt minime placuit artefacturum idies esse ut clipai atque lairai neque rursus eorum quae proetor naturam ut febris et cholerae neque particularium seius socrates et platonis neque etiam rerum vilium veluti sordium festcoe neque relationum ut majoris et excedentis esse namque idiais intellectionis de oeternas ac sepsis perfectas we may take this opportunity of mentioning another point 
in which our doctrine of ideas differs very much from that of plato he teaches that the object which art tries to express the ideal of painting and poetry is not the idea but the particular thing our whole exposition hitherto has maintained exactly the opposite and plato's opinion is the less likely to lead us astray inasmuch as it is the source of one of the greatest and best-known errors of this great man his depreciation and rejection of art and especially poetry he directly connects his false judgment in reference to this with the passage quoted i return to the exposition of the aesthetic impression the knowledge of the beautiful always supposes at once and inseparably the pure knowing subject and the known idea as object yet the source of aesthetic satisfaction will sometimes lie more in the comprehension of the known idea sometimes more in the blessedness and spiritual peace of the pure knowing subject freed from all willing and therefore from all individuality and the pain that proceeds from it and indeed this predominance of one or the other constituent part of aesthetic feeling will depend upon whether the intuitively grasped idea is a higher or a lower grade of the objectivity of will thus in aesthetic contemplation in the real or through the medium of art of the beauty of nature in the inorganic and vegetable worlds or in works of architecture the pleasure of pure willless knowing will predominate because of the ideas which are here apprehended are only low grades of the objectivity of will and are therefore not manifestations of deep significance and rich content on the other hand if animals and man are the objects of aesthetic contemplation or representation the pleasure will consist rather in the comprehension of these ideas which are the most distinct revelation of will for they exhibit the greatest multiplicity of forms the greatest richness and deep significance of phenomena and reveal to us most completely the nature of will whether in its violence its terribleness its satisfaction or its aberration the latter in tragic situations or finally in its change and self-surrender which is the peculiar theme of christian painting as the idea of the will enlightened by full knowledge is the object of historical painting in general and of the drama we shall now go through the fine arts one by one and this will give completeness and distinctness to the theory of the beautiful which we have advanced matter as such cannot be the expression of an idea for as we found in the first book it is throughout nothing but causality its being consists in its casual action but causality is a form of the principle of sufficient reason knowledge of the idea on the other hand absolutely excludes the content of that principle we also found in the second book that matter is the common substratum of all particular phenomena of the ideas and consequently is the connecting link between the idea and the phenomenon or the particular thing accordingly 
for both of these reasons it is impossible that matter can for itself express an idea this is confirmed a posteriori by the fact that it is impossible to have a perceptible idea of matter as such but only an abstract conception in the former that is in perceptible ideas are exhibited only the forms and qualities of which matter is the supporter and in all of which ideas reveal themselves this corresponds also with the fact that causality the whole essence of matter cannot for itself be presented perceptibly but is merely a definite casual connection on the other hand every phenomenon of an idea because as such it has entered the form of the principle of sufficient reason or the principium individuationis must exhibit itself in matter as one of its qualities so far then matter is as we have said the connecting link between the idea and the principium individuationis which is the form of knowledge of the individual or the principle of sufficient reason plato is therefore perfectly right in his enumeration for after the idea and the phenomenon which includes all other things in the world he gives matter only as a third thing which is different from both the individual as a phenomenon of the idea is always matter every quality of matter is also the phenomenon of an idea and as such it may always be an object of aesthetic contemplation that is the idea expressed in it may always be recognized this holds good of even the most universal qualities of matter without which it never appears and which are the weakest objectivity of will such are gravity cohesion rigidity fluidity sensitiveness to light and so forth if now we consider architecture simply as a fine art and apart from its application to useful ends in which it serves the will and not pure knowledge and therefore ceases to be art in our sense we can assign to it no other aim than that of bringing to greater distinctness some of those ideas which are the lowest grades of the objectivity of will such as gravity cohesion rigidity hardness those universal qualities of stone those first simplest most inarticulate manifestations of will the bass notes of nature and after these light which in many respects is their opposite even at these low grades of the objectivity of will we see its nature revealing itself in discord for properly speaking the conflict between gravity and rigidity is the sole aesthetic material of architecture its problem is to make this conflict appear with perfect distinctness in a multitude of different ways it solves it by depriving these indestructible forces of the shortest way to their satisfaction and conducting them to it by a circuitous route so that the conflict is lengthened and the inexhaustible efforts of both forces become visible in many different ways the whole mass of the building if left to its original tendency would exhibit a mere heap or clump bound as closely as possible to the earth to which gravity the form in which the will appears here continually presses while rigidity 
also objectivity of will resists but this very tendency this effort is hindered by architecture from obtaining direct satisfaction and only allowed to reach it indirectly and by roundabout ways the roof for example can only press the earth through columns the arch must support itself and can only satisfy its tendency towards the earth through the medium of the pillars and so forth but just by these enforced digressions just by these restrictions the forces which reside in the crude mass of stone unfold themselves in the most distinct and multifarious ways and the purely aesthetic aim of architecture can go no further than this therefore the beauty at any rate of a building lies in the obvious adaptation of every part not to the outward arbitrary end of man so far the work belongs to practical architecture but directly to the stability of the whole to which the position dimensions and form of every part must have so necessary a relation that where it is possible if any one part were taken away the whole would fall to pieces for just because each part bears just as much as it conveniently can and each is supported just where it requires to be and just to the necessary extent this opposition unfolds itself this conflict between rigidity and gravity which constitutes the life the manifestation of will in the stone becomes completely visible and these lowest grades of the objectivity of will reveal themselves distinctly in the same way the form of each part must not be determined simply by its end the twisted column is tasteless the four-cornered pillar is in fact not so simple as the round column though it happens that it is easier to make it the forms also of frieze rafter roof and dome are entirely determined by their immediate end and explain themselves from it the decoration of capitals etc belongs to sculpture not to architecture which admits it merely as extraneous ornament and could dispense with it according to what has been said it is absolutely necessary in order to understand the aesthetic satisfaction afforded by a work of architecture to have immediate knowledge through perception of its matter as regards its weight rigidity and cohesion and our pleasure in such a work would suddenly be very much diminished by the discovery that the material used was pumice stone for then it would appear to us as a kind of sham building we would be affected in almost the same way if we were told that it was made of wood when we had supposed it to be of stone just because this alters and destroys the relation between rigidity and gravity and consequently the significance and necessity of all the parts for these natural forces reveal themselves in a far weaker degree in a wooden building therefore no real work of architecture as a fine art can be made of wood although it assumes all forms so easily this can only be explained by our theory if we were distinctly told that a building the sight of which gave us pleasure was made of different kinds of materials of very unequal weight and consistency but not distinguishable to the eye the whole building would become as utterly incapable of affording us pleasure 
as a poem in an unknown language all this proves that architecture does not affect us mathematically but also dynamically and that what speaks to us through it is not mere form and symmetry but rather those fundamental forces of nature those first ideas those lowest grades of objectivity of will the regularity of the building and its parts is partly produced by the direct adaptation of each member to the stability of the whole partly it serves to facilitate the survey and comprehension of the whole and finally regular figures to some extent enhance the beauty because they reveal the constitution of space as such but all this is of subordinate value and necessity and by no means the chief concern indeed symmetry is not invariably demanded as ruins are still beautiful works of architecture have further quite a special relation to light they gain a double beauty in the full sunshine with the blue sky as a background and again they have a quite different effect by moonlight therefore when a beautiful work of architecture is to be erected special attention is always paid to the effects of the light and to the climate the reason of all this is indeed principally that all the paths and their relations are only made clearly visible by a bright strong light but besides this i am of opinion that it is the function of architecture to reveal the nature of light just as it reveals that of things so opposite to it as gravity and rigidity for the light is intercepted confined and reflected by the great opaque sharply outlined and variously formed masses of stone and thus it unfolds its nature and qualities in the purest and clearest way to the great pleasure of the beholders for light is the most joy-giving of things as the condition and the objective correlative of the most perfect kind of knowledge of perception now because the ideas which architecture brings to clear perception are the lowest grades of the objectivity of will and consequently their objective significance which architecture reveals to us is comparatively small the aesthetic pleasure of looking at a beautiful building in a good light will lie not so much in the comprehension of the idea as in the subjective correlative which accompanies this comprehension it will consist preeminently in the fact that the beholder set free from the kind of knowledge that belongs to the individual and which serves the will and follows the principle of sufficient reason is raised to that of the pure subject of knowing free from will it will consist then principally in pure contemplation itself free from all the suffering of will and of individuality in this respect the opposite of architecture and the other extreme of the series of the fine arts is the drama which brings to knowledge the most significant ideas therefore in the aesthetic pleasure afforded by the drama the objective side is throughout predominant architecture has this distinction from plastic art and poetry it does not give us a copy but the thing itself it does not repeat as they do the known idea so that the artist lends his eyes to the beholder but in it the artist merely presents the object to the beholder 
and facilitates for him the comprehension of the idea by bringing the actual individual object to a distinct and complete expression of its nature unlike the work of other arts those of architecture are very seldom executed for purely aesthetic ends these are generally subordinated to other useful ends which are foreign to art itself thus the great merit of the architect consists in achieving and attaining the pure aesthetic ends in spite of their subordination to other ends which are foreign to them this he does by cleverly adapting them in a variety of ways to the arbitrary ends in view and by rightly judging which form of aesthetical architectonic beauty is compatible and may be associated with a temple which with a palace which with a prison and so forth the more a harsh climate increases these demands of necessity and utility determines them definitely and prescribes them more inevitably the less free play has beauty in architecture in the mild climate of india egypt greece and rome where the demands of necessity were fewer and less definite architecture could follow its aesthetic ends with the greatest freedom but under a northern sky this was sorely hindered here where caissons pointed roofs and towers were what was demanded architecture could only unfold its own beauty within very narrow limits and therefore it was obliged to make amends by resorting all the more to the borrowed ornaments of sculpture as is seen in gothic architecture we thus see that architecture is greatly restricted by the demands of necessity and utility but on the other hand it has in them a very powerful support for on account of the magnitude and costliness of its works and the narrow sphere of its aesthetic effect it could not continue to exist merely as a fine art if it had not also as a useful and necessary profession a firm and honourable place among the occupations of men it is the want of this that prevents another art from taking its place beside architecture as a sister art although in an aesthetical point of view it is quite properly to be classed along with it as its counterpart i mean artistic arrangement of water for what architecture accomplishes for the idea of gravity when it appears in connection with that of rigidity hydraulics accomplishes for the same idea when it is connected with fluidity that is formlessness the greatest mobility and transparency leaping waterfalls foaming and tumbling over rocks cataracts dispersed into floating spray springs gushing up as high columns of water and clear reflecting lakes reveal the ideas of fluid and heavy matter in precisely the same way as the works of architecture unfolds the ideas of rigid matter artistic hydraulics however obtains no support from practical hydraulics for as a rule their ends cannot be combined yet in exceptional cases this happens for example in the cascata di trevi at rome end of section twenty three read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama